Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Is this America, the land of the free and the home of the brave? Wake up, America, wake up! Political division in the country undeniably deep right now. The big question on a lot of people's minds, can Americans come together and heal? I'm Van Jones, and this is Uncommon Ground. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash Wondery and use code Wondery for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash Wondery, code Wondery. This episode is brought in part to you by Audible, your go-to destination for thrilling audio entertainment. Whether you're looking for a hair-raising experience to enjoy while you're on the move or eager to dive into sinister and shocking tales, Audible has an exclusive collection of thrillers from best-selling authors that will keep you on the edge of your seat. Like James Patterson's first audio-only thriller, The Coldest Case. Experience stories like never before, where every chilling detail is brought to life by captivating sound design. Plus, as an Audible member, choose one title a month to make yours forever. And now, new members can try Audible free for 30 days. Just visit audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. That's audible.com slash WonderyPod or text WonderyPod to 500-500. Welcome back to Uncommon Ground. This is a show where we are exploring what it takes to make meaningful change in a country as divided as our country has become. You know, one thing I try to do on this show is to bring you inspirational examples an example of people who have been courageous, examples of people who maybe have taken on some stuff that uh, you know, you might be thinking about taking on, but you don't know how to do it. You know, we all need examples like that. Because I think a lot of us are feeling stuck. We want to do more. We want to give more. And, you know, there are a lot of reasons to hold back and, and, and play safe. Today, we're going to talk to somebody who decided not to hold back, who decided not to play safe, who made huge changes in his life and uh, is better off for it. I really do believe we need people to change. You know, we need the, the transformation of the individual. And so that's really what I've leaned into now is like, okay, let me stop soapboxing and telling everyone else what to do. And let me start looking at myself. Like, and, and it's it's this whole part of the whole journey. I am talking about Adrian Grenier. Now, many of you may know Adrian as an actor. He obviously played Vincent Chase on HBO's Entourage. He played Anne Hathaway's unsupportive boyfriend in Devil Wears Prada. And he was in a 2021 Netflix miniseries called Clickbait. But he's a lot more than an actor. And in recent years, you know, Adrian's really given up the whole Hollywood spotlight and rat race to focus on something he believes in a lot more than his own personal fame and fortune, which is the planet. Now, when it comes to nature conservation and ecology, you know, Adrian is one of the big, big voices now in the world. He's a UN Environment Goodwill Ambassador. 
In 2017, he helped the UN Environment Program launch Clean Seas, which is a campaign to end marine plastic pollution. He also co-founded the Lonely Whale Foundation, which aims to inspire empathy toward marine species, you know, uh, dolphins and whales and stuff like that. I actually met him through his foundation's Stop Sucking campaign, which is working to get rid of single-use plastic straws. And he invests in green companies through his impact investment company. It's called Do Contra Ventures. And recently he launched Earth Speed, which is a docu-series on how you can make wiser investments of, of your time and your money to really help the planet. So he does a lot of good in the environmental space. And that's why I wanted to talk with him. You know, we got deep real fast in this thing. And we wound up talking at a completely different level not just about how he, in the external way, moved from talking about being a celebrity and that sort of stuff to being you know, more impactful. We talked about his own personal life. We talked about his inner journey. We talked about how he went from speaking for causes to really embodying causes. And this is one of the more powerful experiences I've had as an interviewer because I just didn't expect it to get so deep so quickly. And I didn't expect him to be so honest and so so transparent and so vulnerable. You know, we got so deep. I feel like I need to warn you, if you're sensitive to issues of childhood trauma or sexual abuse, we do talk about that stuff around the 15-minute mark. I just want you to be aware of that and let this serve as a warning. This is not just a conversation about dolphins. Uh, you know, dolphins go deep. We went way deeper. And uh, I think that this may be a conversation that will help you imagine a pathway for your own self to let go of some of the pretense and some of the, you know, pomp and circumstance and phoniness that all of us have, you know, in our lives and face some of the challenges inside and let that move you into maybe a completely different way of being, which is what has happened uh, with Adrian. It's really, really amazing. He's an amazing human being. I think it's just an extraordinary conversation. Stay tuned for my conversation with Adrian Grenier after this break. Hey, brother. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm good. I appreciate you and I appreciate all that you have done and are doing, you know, to make the world a better place. You know, I think, you know, for a lot of people, they think about you as a guy from Entourage. They think about you as a guy from Devil Wears Prada. You know, they see you as as an actor. I see you as like as a change maker. I see you as 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 somebody who's actually taken the fame and used it for a deeper purpose. And that's one of the reasons I wanted to just talk with you is you know, you're doing so much work now. Uh, everything from the UN, everything from the private sector, the the, the public education on oceans, taking on such a big cause. And um, I just wanted to talk with you about what that journey has been like, what you're up to, and what people who are a part of my uh, listening audience might gain from you in terms of just inspiration. What, what what made you push away from the stars and embrace the ocean? Oh, man. <laughs> the long journey from cities and concrete to Hollywood and to to water and then now in the ground in the dirt um obviously I'm now old enough to say that I've had a long journey you mentioned about uh, being in the earth and being in the dirt talk a little bit about what you're doing right now uh, when it comes to that yeah so I've actually been on a, probably a four-year transformational experience where I have and and covid really helped 
sort of propel me in this direction, but I now live in Texas. In Texas, on a 46-acre ranch, I just went uh, with a hitch and picked up a donkey (laughs) yesterday. I can see him right now out the window with our two llamas and our dogs and that whole thing. So we're basically doing a homesteading thing out here. And I, you know, I had a lot of, um, a series of rock bottoms, I guess. Mm-hmm. I, I sort of skidded the, 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 the ground and I finally landed flat on my face and I realized I had to make a bunch of changes. And um, those changes led me here. And, you know, everyone has their own rock bottom, whether it be drugs and alcohol or women or whatever. But for me, it was pretty much all of it. <laughs> and I realized I needed to make a big change because I was oriented in such a way that I saw, I like, I saw myself in 20, 30 years and I did not like what I foresaw. And so I realized that I had to really change everything and do some serious soul searching, which means I had to shed a lot of bad habits, a lot of patterns, a lot of misconceptions, a lot of delusions and re- rewrite my story. I don't think we should move too far from that because I think you're speaking to a lot of people. I mean, especially with, you know, with COVID, with all the different changes, I think a lot of people are needing to, to reset and reboot. So you're ahead of the curve in that. When you say you, you hit rock bottom or skid at rock bottom a couple of times, what, uh, what are you talking about? I mean, I, I was literally living the best life. I had access, I had money, I had fame. I, I was traveling the world. You know, on paper, according to our consumer ideology here in the, in the States, I, I had achieved royalty. I was royalty of the American dream. Right. <laughs> it's like, true, yay. True story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so in my mind, I was like, okay, I can do no wrong. Everything is perfect. But really, I was um, missing something so, so deep and important. And it wasn't until my girlfriend at the time you know, basically hit me with a big karmic wallop. She just smacked me upside the head spiritually and she said, I'm out. And I said, what are you talking about? What do you mean you're out? I'm, I'm the best. Like you, you have everything with me. And she said, no, actually you, you're the worst. I was so incredulous. It was such a shock to my system that it was almost like a, a glitch in the matrix. It shook, it, it, it was sort of a, a pattern disruption. I was like, what? Like, what, what do you mean? That doesn't make any sense that you would leave me. And because she left, it gave me just enough room. It allowed me to squint my eyes open just enough to realize that I've been asleep for 30 years. I've just been in this pattern, this, this, you know, this consumption and accumulation and indulgence and more and more and more. And can I get the next job and make more money and then buy the next and then become a mini mogul in real estate. And then I'm going to get into music now and I'm going to change the world. And by the way, we're talking about changing the world, right? I mean, I really believe like, oh, not only do I have the money and the power and the influence, you an ambassador, amazing, but I'm also, I also care enough to do something about the world. I have a heart big enough to actually do something as opposed to everyone else is, who's just out for themselves. <laughs> so you had this whole veneer of kind of righteousness on top of all that, that makes it even harder to self-reflect. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 And I really believe that I and I alone were going to like, you know, it was going to do amazing things. And and it was all in good intentions. Right. But I, I realized, you know, there's that, that quote, you know, first I was 
a smart ass and then I tried to change the world and then I got wise and I tried to change myself. I realized that in the same breath that I was trying to make these positive changes for the world externally, I was at the same time living and embodying the opposite. So I was almost driving with the brake on. When did that breakup happen? Five years ago, five or six years ago. That was the first big speed bump you hit when you're like, hold on a second, I'm missing something. Yeah, I mean, th- things were great. I, th- I mean, as, as far as I understood. And, but there was something, there was just something gnawing, something nagging inside of me. I was like, the, the, the other shoe's gonna drop or something. I didn't know what it was gonna be. Is there gonna be a death? Is it gonna be something tragic? I promised her, I said, you know what? I love you and I trust you enough that I'm going to, in earnest, I'm going to look at myself in a real way. And it took me about two years to peel back all of the layers, to shed all of the patterns that I'd built up to protect myself. What, what, what did you do? How, how did you do that? Like, like therapy or like mushrooms? I mean, I mean how, do you, how do you do all that? That's hard. Yeah, all of the above. I mean, for, first and foremost, I had to Marie Kondo everything. I just said, start shedding uh, all the material things, all of the the indulgences, all the um, you know, I went celibate, so I, I cut out sex, I cut out booze, I I really just had to clear my nervous system so that I could start to become more aware of what was underneath, because I realized that all of those things were numbing me, they were escapes, so I would literally plot throughout the day different opportunities to escape, to leave myself, to leave my body, to to, to numb out on some endorphin or some high or some indulgence or some distraction. You know, people feel I can't make a difference because I don't have enough money, I don't have enough fame, I don't have enough this, I don't have enough that. And so whether it's for selfish reasons or quote unquote selfless reasons, everybody starts trying to get in the position where you were. Everybody's trying to get famous. Everybody's trying to get rich. Everybody's trying to become an influencer. That's a new term, influencer. But it's basically the same quest for like money, fame, stat, what we call it an influencer. So then it's like, all right. And then when you get there, obviously there's a lot of good that comes with it, but it, it doesn't solve all the problems. In fact, it can make some of the problems internally more profound. You know, these problems just get bigger and bigger. It's not like, you know, you can get enough fame to fix it all by yourself. And so there's a trap. I think a lot of people are are caught in and don't know it. You won. <laughs> And realize that in the winning, you'd actually lost a lot. Yeah, well, I let go. You know, I had to let go of a lot. You know, and I had to, you know, they, they, they call it an ego death, right? Mm. The thing you Nobody think you are. Nobody wants that. No, it hurts. It hurts. Nobody <laughs> wants that. <laughs> oh, man, please. Ouch. Like, ooh. You know, when you're avoiding it, it just, you just delay the suffering, you know, but once you just let go and go through it, it sucks. It's painful. And I did do a number of spiritual practices, which were hard and grueling at times and felt, oh, because it, what it does is it increases sensation. I re-entered my body for the first time in 30 years, literally. I, I had feelings in my body that I had let go of. And, and I mean, we don't have to go into the you know, gory details, but you know, I had, I had some trauma as a kid as we all do, right? And we create mechanisms to protect our emotional being from those traumas. And God bless us that we can do that. But I had, at a very young age, decided I didn't want to feel a certain way. So I 
allowed myself to just lift off and be just outside my body so I didn't have to feel. And when I came back and re-entered my physical body and I started, and this isn't esoteric, this is just suddenly I was bringing awareness to the parts of my body that I was not paying attention to. And I started to feel those traumas come up because we store traumas in our body, in our muscles, in our, in our, in our gut, in our physical space. And I started to feel stuff that I didn't want to feel. And that's when I had to, that's when I had the opportunity, I should say, to take a look at all of that and then begin to heal those parts that were, that I was running from really. Yeah. You mentioned not wanting to get into the gory details, but you know, I think for my podcast audience, like there's really nothing off, off limits. And if there's anything about that that you feel comfortable sharing, it might help somebody else just know what they can recover from. Yeah. Well, I'd love to share. So I didn't grow up with my father. So much of my story is a story of Papa, you know, trying to come back to Papa, find Papa. Later in life, I realized that I am Papa. Like I get to be Papa, right? Hopefully have, have children too, but I get to, you know, embody that father energy. But not growing up with a father, not having any positive male role models. You know, I, I was, I, I really lacked a lot. And I think that's a common story. And so, you know, at, at a young age, my mom was looking for men to, to fulfill that role. And often those men were either destructive in some way, absent, or just immature, right? Not even actively teaching me how to womanize or how to sneak or how to, you know, do, do toxic things, but also just to be not present, you know, how to, how to escape responsibility or skirt presence. And then there's some men that were actively destructive. One man in particular was a gentleman who, gentleman, say that lightly. He, uh, he, he was working for the big brother, big sister program. So he became my big brother. And it turns out that he had an interest in, in young boys in, in a sexual way. I can't say that I know exactly what happened to me at that young age. All I know is that I really didn't like it. It made me extremely uncomfortable. And it was at that moment that I did not want to feel anymore. I did not want to experience, totally dissociated. And so the the combination of leaving my body, leaving the feeling part, and also learning these toxic behaviors from other male role models, I just ended up growing into a man that was immature and um, disrespectful. And And I recognized those patterns through a lot of work. I worked with one woman, Alana Mehta in particular. And she was extremely helpful to me. And through many, many months of um, abstinence, and she was my accountability coach so that, I, so that I could really start to stay in it, stay in my body, and not always skirt out finding indulgences. And so she was holding me accountable to that work. And then one day we, we did a, a session in which she, God bless her, I mean, she intuitively somehow was able to guide me through meditation back into that experience as a, as a young boy. And I realized, I said, oh, fuck, this is the work. This is where I get to rewrite my story. This is where I get to stand up for myself now for the first time. And because that was the moment that I reentered my body. That was the moment that I came back into the feeling. And from then on, 
now having connection into my body and feelings that I hadn't had before, I could reconnect with my intuition. So now I could start looking out in the world and recognizing all of the bad decisions that I was making that I wasn't connected to, that I wasn't feeling, that I wasn't responsive to because I was numb. So then I would go out in the world and I'd, tr I'd try and live my life as, as I used to. And I'd be like, oh, this doesn't feel right. I should probably not do this. <laughs> so the, there was like a responsiveness, like an immediacy to the way I was navigating the world after that. And I realized I don't want to be that guy. I don't want to become, you know, my abuser. I want to be the father. I want to be the man that I wished that I had had as a young boy. So suddenly I'm oriented now towards becoming a higher order of being than what I was settling for. And, that, and that's when the work began. I was like, okay, now how do I be that? Man, look, it, it's, um, it's so powerful to hear you talking about what you're talking about because amen, don't talk about this stuff. And it also... I mean, maybe it can help people aim for the right thing. Because I do think that some of the quest for fame and glory and money and all these different things, it is trying to compensate for something. And not just in society or, or in, the, in the community, but just even in oneself, a sense of less than, not enough, whatever those, those feelings are. It's like, well, I'll show them if I can just get this, if I can just get that. And to your point, it doesn't work. <laughs> and you could spend decades <laughs> climbing up the wrong ladder, uh, chasing the wrong car. And eventually you have to come, come back to, to this route that you're talking about. Do you ever feel like you're settling? For your foundation, that is. Maybelline's new Instant Age Rewind Eraser Foundation doesn't settle into fine lines and wrinkles. With SPF 20 and moisturizing pro-vitamin B5, this foundation not only provides medium coverage and a natural finish, but also protects and nourishes your skin. And the best part? The blurring sponge tip applicator makes application a breeze. Say goodbye to cakey, uneven foundation and hello to a flawless, radiant complexion. Try our new foundation today and see the difference for yourself at Amazon.com slash Instant Eraser Foundation. What if everyone at work were an expert communicator? What if every doc, message, and email they wrote was perfectly clear and concise? Inbox numbers would drop, customer satisfaction scores would rise, and everyone would be more productive. That's what happens when you give Grammarly to your entire team. Grammarly is a secure AI writing partner that understands your business and can transform it through better communication. Companies that use Grammarly save an average of 19 days per employee per year. That's because with Grammarly's AI, what used to take a few hours only takes a few clicks, like generating an instant first draft in your company voice or tailoring a message to your specific audience and goals. And Grammarly's personalized on-brand writing help is built in everywhere your team works, across 500,000 apps and websites. Plus, it's safe, secure, and already IT-approved. Join 70,000 teams who trust Grammarly with their words and their data. Learn more at Grammarly.com. Grammarly. Easier said, done. You know, you mentioned this, this term around healing and, and how healing does and doesn't happen and, and the long process of it. I think that's true for individuals. It's also true for 
societies, it's true for, for oceans, it's true for planets. You know, one of the big things that I think from the external place, what we saw is just, I didn't know what was going on internally, but I saw externally, you definitely began to shift what was important to you. And it became, you know, maybe you'd always had the sort of instinct for service and for, you know, being a change maker. But it seemed that that got, you know, dialed up more and the pursuit of fame got dialed down more. Can you talk about how you navigate that? Because, you know, it's not just you. You build up a whole world of friends and associates and agents and managers and lawyers and accountants. And there's a whole, you know, you're, you're, you're Tony Stark in the Iron Man suit when you're famous, you know, and that Iron Man suit has to be fed and, and they want commissions and all that kind of stuff. How do you navigate that part? I mean, there's a host of people who are complicit there. Like, you know, they want you to remain how you are because they're profiting off of you or they get something. I mean, friends who, you know, get to live a lifestyle because you're living that lifestyle. And so there's, there's a lot of letting go, a lot of um, goodbyes, a lot of, it's almost like you have an entourage. Oh, yeah. My one true rite of passage was to become the character of Vincent Chase. I mean, how perfect is life, right? I, my whole story is about looking to become a man, and then I become a man-child, you know, and I ba basically represent for a whole era, you know, this character who is superficial, indulgent, ignorant, you know, basically the epitome of toxic masculinity embodied in, in a man. And because of that, I felt like the man. I felt like I'd become a man. Like I'm making the money and I'm getting the accolades. And every time I'd go out in public, people would lure me. They coax me into becoming more that in real life because they wanted to be hanging out with that guy. And so I would get immediate approval the more I behaved in that way. I mean, you're, you're talking about stuff that is, um, it's so powerful because I think all of us do get stuck in a role. Maybe you're the black sheep of the family and you're playing that thing out, or maybe you're like the, the breadwinner or whatever it is, or you're the good girl or you're the whatever. Um, you're the responsible one. Like everybody winds up getting stuck in some kind of a role. And at some point that role doesn't serve you in the same way. And you realize when you start trying to make a change, how many people need you to be stuck in that peg? No, no, nope. you got to be that. <laughs> and if you stop being that, this is not going to work. And so it takes a lot of courage, just like you said, to go through the, through the goodbyes and that sort of stuff. I mean, what you're describing a real epic journey, you know, from a victim to somebody who is playing out certain victimization yourself to someone who wants to be a healer, from a boy child that didn't have the right male support to then emulating the wrong male support to now trying to be that male support for yourself and for others. I mean, this is a big kind of epic journey, kind of the hero returned sort of a thing. And if all if you're just doing that by yourself and for yourself, that'd be a lot. But you're also trying to you're trying to bring some species with you. <laughs> you're trying to bring some change through not just for yourself, but for the world. Let's talk a little bit now about the, the the work that you did with the oceans, the stuff that you're doing now in the private sector. Let's just talk about how once you hit that reset button, you, you didn't just do the homesteading stuff. You are out there trying to make a change. Yeah, I mean, I, I meant it before. Like I realized that, you know, growing up in sort of a, a liberal-minded 
culture? I, I mean, just as it is defined these days in New York, I really did have a lot of faith in 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 our political system and that we can actually make a change if we just vote and we can make the world the way we want it and, and through government and responsible corporate actions, you know, the world can be as we imagine it. So that was how I was operating and doing a lot of nonprofit work and raising awareness and campaigns. And if we could all just tweet, you know, enough, things will change, things will be better. You know, I'm, I'm really thinking of things very differently these days. But, you know, there, there was a time, there was a time when I was I, creating nonprofits and working with the UN and, and, and I'm really proud of the work that we have done. We did eliminate 20 billion plastic straws from the waste stream, for example. I mean, there's a, too many freaking straws out in the world, too much plastic, but it was really symbolic. 20 billion is, is, is so minuscule relative to the amount of plastic that we consume and use and discard irresponsibly out in, the, in our natural ecosystem for stuff that doesn't biodegrade anytime soon. But you know, to me, I was like, that's just not enough. We have a, an amazing organization called Next Wave Plastics, which is a consortium of 15 plus companies with international footprints who've all agreed to do an internal audit of their business and agreed to use OBP, which is ocean bound plastic, and then buy it. So they've agreed to buy a certain amount of this so that we can actually jumpstart a supply chain of mismanaged plastic. So instead of going out into the ocean and collecting it, and bringing it back after it's been corrupted by bacteria and heat and salt and water, when it becomes a lesser material that's harder to upcycle, we capture it before it goes there because it's mismanaged anyway, and we put it back in the economy. How, how do you capture it? I mean, what, what do you, how, how do you keep it from getting out there in the first place? I mean, it's mismanaged material in often developing countries where there's a, a, a need for, for jobs. So we incentivize waste pickers. We give them jobs to pick and sort through. And then we were creating a supply chain. So this stuff actually has value. You know, plastic is very inexpensive. When it's thrown out into the environment, it's, it's just not worth the expense to pick it up. But these companies have agreed to buy it. So now there's incentive to go get it and, and you know, bring it together and then um, they're going to use it. And so the idea is if we can build enough demand then we can actually start to bring down the cost of OBP, ocean-bound plastic, and start to prevent it from going into waterways and rivers and ultimately the ocean. I think what's so amazing about what you're, what you're saying is that in some ways you weren't embodied when you were doing, when you were kind of doing your do-gooder thing with your not-for-profits in the UN and your slogans or whatever. You were outside of your body, you know, even politically, now you're bringing forward a market-based solution, but you're bringing it forward from a much deeper place. It's not a symbolic thing around straws. It's a deep change around the whole system. Well, it's, it's, it's B2B. It's not sexy. It's like, what? Like, how do you get people excited about, you know, supply chain? <laughs> it's amazing to see how, you know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. Before, you know, we did the stop sucking public campaign and it's consumer facing and we got all the celebrities in there and it was actually it was fun and it did make a big difference but it was surface and now you've gone deeper in your own self and now your work has gone deeper and b2b i mean business to business 
but that's really where maybe you don't have the same amount of flash, but you may have a much bigger impact. Yeah, look, I, I think my philosophy has definitely changed around politics too. I just don't know how much we can legislate or dictate what other people do. You know, I mean, you can only do that to a certain extent, but if people aren't doing it from their own ethics or their own sense of how they want to build the world or create the world, um, it feels too cumbersome to have laws and legislation trying to control everybody and their individual actions across 8 billion people. You know, so I, I really do believe we need people to change. You know, we need the, the transformation of the individual. And so that's really how I, what I've leaned into now is like, okay, let me stop soapboxing and telling everyone else what to do. And let me start looking at myself. Like, and, and it's, it's this whole part of the whole journey. It's like, I, I really need to change myself deeply and absolutely so that I don't have to think about the ethical choice. I can just be it. I'm just embodied, like you said. And I think, you know, there's, there's this whole thing of um, trusting that real miraculous stuff is always nonlinear. Uh, I, I think there's, it's always like, like this one little thing you didn't think mattered and it winds up changing everything. And then something else you put all your work into is a total flop. But then later on, it turns out that flop taught you something you needed for this other thing. But I think what it, life rewards in all circumstances, success and failure, is just trying to find your authentic self in the middle of all of it. The few times when I've been able to make a difference, it was when I went from my talking from my head because I try to be smart. Like you know, I'm, I'd like I'm, all I had going for me as a kid was like I was I was smart. Like I was a little nerd. I was skinny and picked on and had glasses and. Couldn't play sports and we would have chilled. Stuff. We would have chilled. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know. But I was really smart. You know, I could and not in math, not in science, but in English, the humanities. I was really smart. So I just quadrupled down on that one thing. I just kind of like grew my brain, like 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 a like a balloon, just kind of like got my brain big enough to kind of float me out of rural West Tennessee and you know drop me down at, at Yale for law school. And so I tend to to focus on on my brain a lot. But my body, my heart, my soul, like I will, I'll spend a hundred times more effort trying to get smart than trying to get fit, you know, or trying to get peaceful or trying to get anything. And what I've seen with myself is that whenever anything actually works or something actually moves in a positive direction, it's not coming from that. It's not coming from my head. It's coming from my heart. It's coming from a sense of connection. It's coming from some, you know, deeper sense of well-being or purpose or something else and then all the external stuff I'm trying to make happen, it kind of happens with a lot more ease. Sometimes this stuff will just ha happen with ease when I'm coming from the right place. And and I do think that individual change that you're talking about, it's got to be a bigger part of the conversation. I, I I believe in laws and policies and politics and stuff like, like that too, but I, mean, I believe in it a lot less than I used to. Well, I have to say, Van, I've, I've watched your journey and it's been miraculous. I mean, beautiful to watch, just especially now when things feel so fragmented and 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 you, and you're really bringing people together it's incredible i mean there there's this sort of outrage machine the algorithms are like hopping us up on our cortisone and our endorphins and and, and we just have to be louder than the next and anti this and anti that and everybody's trying to change everybody else and 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 d disparage them and and ruin them and cancel them and i see you coming together and 
I mean, I'm imagining like Doc in, in Back to the Future, you're like holding the, the rods together, you're just like <laughs> bringing people together, at, you know, even if at your own peril, potentially. Um, but it's really awesome to watch. Well, I, I appreciate that. And, um, you know, it's very hard to get famous and it's very hard to give that up. It's very hard to break into that change maker elite. And it's also very hard to give that up because you can always throw out a statistic or a photograph or a bill you passed or an award you got. But it's very hard to walk away from that and say, no, I want deeper change. I'm going to literally put myself in a position where nobody knows what I'm doing because it's so deep in the supply chain that it's only going to make a difference to the, you know, to, to the people who, who really understand that all that stuff. And that's not the millions of people they, they used to, to appeal to. I know that you are, you still have a public profile when it comes to Instagram, when it comes to YouTube. Tell me a little bit about Earth Speed. Yeah. I mean, it's a how-to podcast docuseries on Instagram and YouTube. It's, it's a lifestyle in the cadence of nature. It's um, it's a platform for all these things that we've been talking about. How do we learn to be more self-reliant and resilient? Uh, how do we learn to be living in harmony with nature and also with the mentality of the timelessness and the, the perfection of the way nature actually designs the world? And if we can recognize that we are emergent beings, that we come from nature, that we are not separate from nature... And if we can start to behave in harmony with nature, not in dominion as like the controllers of that can rape and exploit nature, but also to be mindful that even our solutions to climate change or the challenges of nature should be questioned. If we think we can somehow come in and, and, and it's well-intentioned, appreciate you know, all the environmentalists out there, but in many ways there's an arrogance to environmentalism that thinks it can somehow change the world, change the earth by just doing this, by just driving that, by just stopping this. I think we have another, another thing coming. So it's a lifestyle that starts to recognize our interconnectedness, not only to one another, but also to nature itself. And I believe that if we start to recognize that and live that, good things could happen. Yeah, I'm a big part of the mainstream media and I'm proud, proud of it. I, in my, life, my life would be so different had I not done the, the mainstream media stuff. But I do believe that we're in danger of convincing people, no matter what political perspective you have, that there are just so many awful people in the country on the other side of some line that you can't get anything done. My experience has been the opposite. My experience has been there are so many awesome people on both sides of the political divide, all races, all faiths, there's so many awesome people who just don't know what to do and who just don't know how to work together yet. So I just have rejected the, the, the assumption that most people are terrible. I was a New York, LA guy, bi-coastal, right? And all the flyover states on my way over, I would just shake my head like these Republicans, you know, they're, they're, they're voting us into hell, you know, totally ignorant. Right. And meanwhile, I'm talking about the environment and, you know, how farmers need to be this and farmers need to be that and they need to do this or that for the environment. But I really, uh, totally, totally out of ignorance. I was totally, absolutely disconnected from nature, you know, the cities. I was in con concrete jungles, but I didn't have a connection to any of that. I did have a garden, which I paid someone else to make so that I could show everybody how to live the example. <laughs> But I never actually 
I mean, look, uh, <laughs> full disclosure, I was a fraud in many ways because I felt that I had to represent the thing, but I didn't have to be the thing. And so that everyone else could do, mm, do, do mm, all the work. Right? Um, and so because of Trump, because when Trump was elected, I was so horrified. I didn't sleep, like tossing and turning for weeks. I was like, how could these people d- do that to us? How could they vote for this guy? And because of that, I, I made a decision to start to reach out and try and understand them in, in all honesty to maybe try and change them. Maybe if I, if I understood them enough, I could flip them, pull them back to, to the, the good side, the, the, the righteous. And the more I started to reach out and connect with them, the more I realized that they didn't need changing, that I needed to expand cut to here I am now living in those flyover states. I'm living in Texas. And the people who are fulfilling that father role for me, and I'm, about, I'm getting choked up, are the farmers. I'm literally getting choked up. They're like, they're my, they're my papa. And they are craving it. They are craving youngsters who want to pick up the baton and take take from them all that they've learned and, and take over and start to learn how to take care of the land and how to farm and how to take care of animals. And, 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 and it's not easy. And, it's, and it takes a lot of learning and a lot of skill. So now my mentors and my father figures are cowboys and I love them. And, and they make me feel seen and loved in ways I never got in the city. And how ironic. Wow. That's amazing. This has been a very, very powerful uh, experience for me. As one's just, you know, not, not as a host, just brother to brother, just talking. I just appreciate everything that you've shared. And I really believe that the Uncommon Ground audience is going to take tremendous heart from your courage. And I really appreciate you for being on Uncommon Ground. We see the beauty of hope, that spirit is so beautiful. Those who become American citizens love this country even more. And that's why the Statue of Liberty lifts her lamp to welcome them to the Golden Door. For me, that was a really just extraordinary conversation this level of just you know transparency and vulnerability is just rare you know especially i think for you know actors and stuff like that there's the sense you got to be on you got to deliver the interview and he just was coming from a very different place and you know i just hope that what people take away from him is first of all you never know what somebody else is going through what pain is in somebody else's past and but also you never know what you can overcome until you decide you're going to overcome it and he is, I just think, authentically put himself in a position to overcome a lot of stuff that, you know, is very hard to overcome internally. And that is making it more possible for him to overcome things externally, whether you're talking about, you know, permaculture, whether you're talking about um, the oceans or plastic, you know, supply chain issues. You know, how you do one thing is how you do everything. And he's gone deeper into himself. He's gone deeper into the work to make the world better. And I think he's, you know, made this conversation a lot deeper 
than I thought it was going to be. So here's to a lot more depth, a lot more courage, and a lot more of us being a lot more like Adrian Grenier. This is Van Jones on Common Ground. Uncommon Ground with Van Jones is an Amazon original production. It's produced by Magic Labs Media and Wonder Media Network. Our producers are Teddy Alexander, Maisha Dyson, Grace Lynch, Taylor Williamson, Adesua Agbonile, and Lindsay Credible. Our managing producers are Laura D. and Eliza Mills. Our executive producers are Jenny Kaplan and Morgan Jones. Our theme music was composed by The Grand Mess. Publicity for this show is led by Alice Zoe, Andy Lichtenfeld, Didier Moraes, Chantel Muentes, and Sam Petherbridge. Special thanks to Jana Carter, Alex John Burns, Seven McDonald, Drew Schwinteman, Brianna Jones, Eric Carter, Trevor McNeil, Carrie McCarran, Joe McMillan, Steph Walkeen, Vanessa Redbert, Ty Jacobson, Marshall Louie, and Chris Jockerman. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Uncommon Ground with Van Jones ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today, or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. Hey, listeners, it's Will Arnett. Our podcast, Smartless, has crossed a milestone that seemed unfathomable when we started nearly four years ago as we've just released our 200th episode. Join us as we welcome that dynamic duo of hilarity, Steve Martin and Martin Short. You've seen them on screen together in The Three Amigos, Father of the Bride 1 and 2, and most recently, and Only Murders in the Building. Both are comedic geniuses in their own right, but together they are always electric. And this episode of Smartless is no exception. I don't know if I've laughed more in a single episode than this one. We discuss their career arcs both separately and as a comedy team, how they met, who is more difficult to work with, and what motivates them today. Is Steve a better banjo player than Marty as a singer? Find out on this bicentennial episode of Smartless. Follow Smartless on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to Smartless ad-free by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Plus, you get to hear Sean cry. What a loser! What a loser!